1: Welcome to the program warning. In today's program, Dr. Hansen introduced his associate pastor, Ty Gulstrom on January 7, 2006, where he shared the message Coming to Your Crisis The Sin of Ham Versus the Love of Shem and Japheth. Now, let's begin.
0: Pastor Ty will be sharing today, and he's always uh, extremely edifying. Can you say, man? And I think we're going to enjoy another
2: good sermon by Pastor Ty. Praise the Lord. Well, God is a good God, amen. amen? I had such a hard time last week with losing my notes, I decided that the only way I could prevent that this week is not to make any notes. Yeah. So I decided not to do any notes, and I'd probably lose them anyway. God has a way to bring you back to the, the focus of, let me guide you, let me, let me let me speak through you, let me talk with you, and... After it's kind of funny because the first thing I did, I was kind of like, after I was done last week, is I looked in my Bible and it took me about five seconds to find my notes. You know, (laughs) I spent 10, 15 minutes up here fumbling through and you never could find them. It took me five seconds after I got done. And just out of curiosity, I looked at my notes. There's only like six or seven points. And and, and it's interesting that every point I covered. And the Lord said, Yeah, you don't need the notes. You know, you don't need the notes. And so sometimes we use the notes for crutches. And uh, so. No notes today, I just have a couple of scripture verses and something I wanted to share from my heart, and uh, we talked about a couple of different things last week, and one of the things we talked about is crisis, and I believe I, there's a, I don't remember, maybe some of you took the Bible college class, I don't remember what professor or what class it was, but a pastor, I think he was a pastor, he said, if there's not a crisis in your church, create one. And I thought that was so interesting because uh, I believe that the Lord, if you let him, will create a crisis in your life. And the crisis is never for the purpose of destruction in and by itself. The purpose of crisis is to bring you to an end of yourself. So you can start with God. And the Lord, I believe, in a lot of people's lives in this church, in this ministry, he's bringing a personal crisis, and I say hallelujah. Uh, We need a crisis in our lives. We need a crisis in our church. Why? Because when we come to a crisis, we cannot do with it by ourselves. We cannot get out of it by ourselves, and I believe that the Lord is saying, would you come to a Christianity that you can't do yourself? Because true Christianity, you cannot do yourself. And so if you have a Christianity in which you have no crisis, what I'm saying is you probably built upon yourself a bit of an ivory tower that you can control at everything. And you can, you have the, you got the control panel, you know, like Pastor EJ in his 747, everything, you got the cockpit, you got the control, everything's under your control. And now I'm here to say that God wants to create a crisis if that's where we're at. And I believe in my personal life, I've had some areas where I've had the, the hand on the control panel, and I had the reins in my hand, and the Lord has created a crisis in my life. And it's horribly terrific. And it's ye who I'm going to the cross, and the flesh has got to die that the Lord can live through me. And I believe that's what the Lord is doing in our church and in many people in this body right here as he's creating crisis, and I'm so excited about it. Because I just know that when, when we finally come to that point, that place where we look up and the Lord has brought a revelation of who we are, has brought a re- revelation of our heart, when he's diagnosed the situation, and how many people know that he diagnoses perfectly? Yes. He's never missed he's never right, he's never like, I think this is what's going on. He can diagnose your heart perfectly. But I think I said last week that the Lord will never diagnose your heart. He'll never reveal yourself to you apart from revealing himself to you. Because the purpose of Christ is the purpose of showing you who you are. is for the purpose of trading in and making the exchanged life. Amen. We learned that terminology through the last course. That Christ desires that we have an exchanged life. I talked a little bit last week about a new life's resolution. That we should not be looking at the negative areas of our lives and seeing how some way in our own strength, in our own power, that somehow we can try to be whitewashed sepulchres. But we really need to make a new life, a life exchange resolution. And I believe that that's the purpose of the crisis, is that Christ is trying to show us who we are. I shared last week in Revelation chapter 3 that the Lord's diagnosis to the church of Laodicea. Many teachers of the Bible... Believe, and I think rightly so, that the church of Laodicea in a time period talks about the church before the return of Jesus Christ. And he says, he gives a diagnosis. He says it plainly. Jesus says, You say, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, the Lord gave the perfect diagnosis. And I don't know about you, but I can relate with that diagnosis because in myself, apart from Christ, I am wicked, I am wretched, I am sinful, I am flesh. And my flesh desires to satisfy itself. And so the Lord has given me the diagnosis. But I'm so excited because he doesn't just give the diagnosis of his heart. He encourages you and me like he encouraged the Church of Laodicea he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. You see, he diagnosed the problem. He diagnosed the heart. He diagnosed me. He brought a crisis and then he showed me himself. And he says, you can make the choice, the willful choice of an exchanged life. That's the crisis. But the crisis in a person's life, like Jack Frost says, it's like the inlet of transition, isn't it? Where you get right up to that very dangerous place of seeing the safe harbor, seeing the exchanged life. And the question is, will the fears and the pains and the hurts and the uncertainties of our life, will that keep us from going across that bar to the presence of God? So the crisis is the bar. The crisis is coming to the end of yourself and trusting the Lord that he'll carry you over that bar to himself. And it really is about surrender, isn't it? There's nothing that he's requiring you, asking you to do apart from that. He's really asking you to do nothing. But the problem is is we don't do nothing. We try to do it ourselves. We try to manage it ourselves. We try to say, well, I'll get just close enough to the bar where it's not tumultuous, yet I can at least see the safe harbor, therefore I have some affiliation with it. And we stay kind of at this, you know, on the outer court area, looking over, saying, okay, I'm, I'm still close enough. I still have identity with Christ. But he asks you to surrender so he can take you over the bar. And the Lord is creating a crisis in my life And I am so excited about it because I'm I'm just starting in a new way to have the exchanged life. To taking the nature of Christ in my heart and letting him dispel my fears, my anxieties, my depressions, my anger. This class, can I just put a push in for it? I mean, it it should it it should be healing the wounded heart part two. I mean, it it is such a perfect back to back class. Such a back oh, it's just great and i've i've gotten about close to halfway through the book at this point and to see the the parallelism to see that it's really a continuation of the theme of what the lord is doing the lord is is perfect isn't he i mean to the, the, the think that i don't know how long it was ago that we had put these two classes back-to-back back on the schedule, but it was long before the crisis was here because the Lord saw the crisis coming. He saw what he was about to do. He was going to answer our prayer. Our prayer is what? We want to be transformed in such a way that we can affect community, affect society. And he says, okay, may I start with you, please? He says, you want, what you're wanting to do is you wanting to create a crisis in this community. you wanting people to come to the end of themselves and see their need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. That's a crisis that you want to bring. And he says, the crisis has to come to you first so that I can transform you, that you can have the exchange life so you can truly be my representatives and truly bring a righteous crisis to people so they can come to the end of themselves. And so long before the crisis was really manifested and doing its work, the Lord knew and he provided these things like these classes I think is great because to me it just shows the sovereignty and love of God. That he is going to bring every resource and every asset that you need. Whatever you need, he knows what you need. And he's going to bring it in the perfect time. My, it's happening to my wife. It's happening to me. Like I said, I could pick up Time Magazine, Wall Street Journal. I could pick up anything. And I'm going to pick out the one thing that God's going to speak right to my heart. You know, here I am. I could be reading the Wall Street Journal. And there's tears. I mean, how, how could you? Is that possible? Other than if your stock's dropped out or something? But I mean, I could read anything right now. I'm almost afraid sometimes to pick up anything at my clinic because I know the Lord's going to start dealing with me and I have to go see a patient. I'm, just, you know, I'm all confused and just the Lord's dealing with me and the Lord's just doing a great thing. A crisis is happening in our lives. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. Praise the Lord. I want to share a couple scriptures today that the Lord has been dealing with me and my life on. I'll be starting in Genesis chapter 9 if you have a Bible today. One thing that I'm learning about myself and I'm learning it By the revelation of God, not by own self reflection. It's this this whole process of crisis. It's a whole process of God revealing His character in my life. In this crisis situation, the Lord is showing me areas of sin, but more more specifically, He's showing me areas of anger. He's showing me areas of hurts and pains and rejection syndrome. He's showing me areas where I've had resentments and bitternesses and frustrations. And, and I don't know if anyone else out there has any problems with any of those things. But he's showing me those things. And you know what happens when he starts showing these things, you're almost like paralyzed. You don't even know what to do. You're almost afraid to step because I don't, I don't want to make a wrong. I'm just, so right now in my life, I almost feel like I'm just stopped. The Lord just says, stop and let me deal with you. 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 Deal with you. Deal with you. Just Stop. Stop trying to walk, stop trying to do, stop, just stop, just stop and look up and surrender. And what I'm finding in my life is it seems so easy. Just surrender, right? It's so easy, isn't it? You know, just surrender. It's so easy. But the bottom line is the flesh does not want to surrender, The flesh wants to dominate. The flesh wants to do. The flesh wants to protect itself. The flesh is not in itself. It does not have the courage to crucify itself. It will do everything it can to protect itself from coming to the end of itself. And that's why you and me are in a hopeless position apart from Christ. Only Christ can bring you to the end of yourself. You must surrender to it. But he brings everything that you need to come to the end of yourself in the beginning of him. That's why he came. You can't do it yourself. Your flesh won't do it. Your flesh will kick and cry and murmur and complain and backbite. Isn't that right? That's what the Bible says that our flesh is all about. It defines the flesh. This is what our flesh does. You don't have to think about it. No one has to teach me about it. I know right out of the womb how to do it. I don't have to teach my sons how to lie. They do it naturally, just fine. <laughs> and sometimes you're like you're looking at your my wife and I're looking at ourselves like when Jeremiah, where, where did he get that? Was it something I did or something? Probably not. It's the default, isn't it? I don't have to teach my son how to lie. I don't have to teach my son how to be selfish. He has picked that up just fine. Before he could utter one pronounceable word, he already had that part down. See, that's part of who we are. That's the default. And look at the destiny. Christ has come to save us from that ourselves. And he had to bring a crisis to do it. And unlike the church, I believe, teaches generically, that is not a one-time episode, 1995, when I gave my heart to Christ. That crisis is perpetual. Unless you can ever tell me that you've totally come to the end of yourself, totally 100%, the end of yourself and the fullness of Christ dwells within you and that you are at the place now where he needs to refine no more, then the crisis still needs to be in your life. The crisis is wonderfully and horribly terrific. It is the Christian life. It is mere, pure Christianity. The crisis to come to the end of you and the beginning of him. And that's what the Lord is doing in our lives, isn't it? I'm looking around and I'm just seeing crisis after crisis. And I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not, because God, he knows what we each need individually. He knows what he needed to do for this, this wretch right here. He knew what I needed to have happen to me. Those same circumstances, you might need some totally different circumstances for you to come to the end of yourself. And it's not easy. It hurts. It's painful. Right? Right? Do you know that in the sovereignty of God he can even cause or at least allow, should we say, physical ailments or problems in those ways he will allow those to happen if it's for the greater good of coming to the end of yourself. He's not the author of sickness. But I tell you what in his sovereignty and love he will allow circumstances to happen for the benefit of salvation and the benefit of sanctification. He'll do it. How do I know? Revelation chapter 3, he says, here's a diagnosis, I implore you, please buy from me, me, come to me. And he says, those who I love, I what? I chasten, I rebuke. He loves you so much that he is willing to do something that even he knows is painful. But that doesn't surprise you, does it? Because you know what happened to I do in my house every day. I do things to my children that at the moment are painful, Right? I spank. I hurt them. Why? Because I love them. Because I want the greater good. I want them to come to the end of themselves. I want to model that in their lives. I want to model that they need to come to the end of themselves in the beginning of Christ. That's what I want to model to my children. That's what Jesus says for us. He knows that the circumstances is painful. In itself, he doesn't want us to create pain, but he recognizes that that is the catalyst that is needed, the crisis that might be needed in your life to bring you to the fullness of knowing Him. And He's willing to do it. He loves you that much. Amen? And I've recognized in my life the rejection syndrome. And I, like I shared, I always thought that, oh, it's probably Dad that wouldn't be able, couldn't emotionally attach with me. Then I saw that even in Mom, that, 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 the, the lavishing of gifts and the lavishing of, of no responsibility and those types of things, that was equally amount of rejection. You see, when you don't give your children what they need, that's imperfect love. That's rejection, right? And so that, what happened in my life is, is that, I, I didn't, that my parents overall, and they didn't provide the crisis that I needed. I needed a crisis to come to the end of myself. And Jesus Christ is not going to shy away from giving you crisis. He desires it only for the benefit of revealing himself to you. Isn't that wonderful? And so in this midst of this crisis, I've, I've got the diagnosis the Lord has looked into my heart and he's given me the diagnosis. And I tell you what, when the, the diagnosis starts coming, he doesn't just instantly show himself. He lets you just for a small season deal with the fact of who you are. He gives you a season. He gives you a few days. He might give you a few weeks, but he'll, he'll show you your heart. He'll diagnose. He'll reveal. He'll expose. And he'll let you just for a moment See yourself, and then when the time is perfect, he'll show himself. And when he has shown me my anger, my resentments, and yes, a lot of those start from childhood and have carried on and are unresolved type of conflicts, but the same, doesn't matter when they, if they started yesterday or started the 30 years ago, Christ is saying, can I heal them in you? Can I exchange that? That hurt, that dysfunction, that pain, that hatred, that anger, can I exchange it? Isn't that a wonderful thing to think that Christ loves you enough to not leave you in the pitiful, wretched, poor state, but to say, now here, take of my life, I put it in you. And as I have seen as a Christian, as a brother, as a husband, and as a father, as a associate pastor to a senior pastor, as a fellow pastor with associate pastors, as a shepherd to some of the flock, I have seen that. The Lord has shown me that my own personal crisis, my own personal dysfunction, my, my anger that's been within me, the bitterness and the strife that's been in my heart, he has shown how much it's a, it affects people around us. See, he didn't show it to me to condemn me, but he showed me to bring me to the end of myself. He wasn't the father that says, look at you, you'll never amount to anything. Look at you. But he revealed it for the purpose of showing himself. Because if he shows himself to you without showing yourself to yourself, if he doesn't reveal the diagnosis, then you don't think. See, you're, you're, you think that you're what? You think that you're rich. You see that? Like the Laodicean in church, you think that everything's in, everything's okay. I'm rich, I'm well-dressed, no problems. See, if that's what you feel, then if he reveals himself, you won't make the exchange life because you're you your deception, you think you're okay. That's why he won't do it that way. He will always bring you to the end of yourself because it's only in that position will you reach out your hand like Peter who is sinking and grasp hold of Christ. He's got to reveal yourself. He's got to bring you to the end of yourself. Or in your deception and in your pride, you'll never grab hold of Christ. You'll call yourself gods. Even if you don't use the name, you'll think, I'm okay. My way is okay. I'm all right. I am righteous. I'm okay. And that's why he loves you so much to bring the crisis because he knows you'll never grasp hold of him, apart from coming to the end of yourself. And so in my life, I've recognized and seen my sin. And I've seen that my sin doesn't just affect me. My sin affects my wife, my children, my relationship with Pastor Hansen, Jeannie, you. And that is a that's a hard thing. If we could just isolate ourselves and it's always oh, this is my but it affects people, doesn't it? And that's hard, and that can instantly try to bring you some condemnation, can it? And I've seen that in my woundedness, in my pains, there, there have been times, and I'll be honest and transparent with you, there have been times where I've even allowed myself to come to gossip or slander because of my wounds and my pains, because of my sin, my flesh. There have been times that I, in the, in the past, have, in my disgruntledness, in my frustration, in my pains and my hurts, have even sinned against pastor. And I've pastor and I have had conversations, great conversations about that. And I've asked him to forgive me. and Because you know what happens when you're wounded? You know what you do? You wound, don't you? And so it wasn't about Pastor Hanson. It wasn't about whoever I might have in that moment. It could have been my wife. It could have been whoever. In that moment, it wasn't about them. It was really about me. And I felt that my carnality is somehow I could just deflect it upon somebody else, then I'll be okay. Do you ever do that? And so what happens is we do anything we can. We get the old binoculars out, and we're going to look at our brothers and sisters. We're going to look at whoever. We're going to look at a leader. We're going to look at a pastor. We're going to look at our spouse, and we're going to find some imperfection that we think, and we are going to what? Put the magnifying glass on that thing. Because if in our mind we can elevate it and make it really big, then we can hide behind that. And we can put a little of our own salve and our own hurts and our own pains, and it's okay. And I'm okay. Look how big that sin is of Pastor Hanson or Pastor Ty or your spouse. or your t- Oh, they're so sinful. And you can say, Oh, it's okay. I'm okay. And that's what I do. That's what the Lord showed me. And so I, you know, I just recently, the Lord just showed me out of my woundedness how much, how much sin I have. And I always thought it was so odd when Paul says that I'm the chief of all sinners. But now I understand. If you let him diagnose you and bring you to the end of yourself, you will see so much sin that you never saw. And it's all for the purpose of the exchange life. It's glorious, it's wonderful, it's horribly terrific. But it's it's not easy. And I'm in a position now where I can actually identify with Paul, who says, I am the chief of all sinners. And when you see that, you're like, oh, oh, Lord. I didn't even see all that. I didn't see how how I could could say a little comment here or or say a little comment here to try to expose somebody else, to try to guard myself from my own anger, my own pains. But we do it, don't we? I do it. I do it. And uh, I've done it against Pastor Hansen. Many times. Many times. Because of my own unresolved anger and issues i've sinned i have said stuff out of my hurts and my pains and it's wrong it's wrong you can never just say well it's okay because i had legitimate hurts and pains you can never give that excuse you know why it's like marriage you know i could say well my wife and i had to get a divorce because we just had too many hurts and too many pains it's, it's legitimized. If you knew how many hurts and pains I have and knew how many hurts and pains my wife, you would understand why we had to get a divorce. You can't do that, can you? And we can't do it when we gossip and slander or backbite somebody else either. Yes, the hurts and the pains are legitimate and need to be worked through, but you cannot use that as your scapegoat. You can't. If we all, every time that we sin, we just pull out this card and it says, but, oh, I got pains and hurts and I'm not perfect, and so It's legitimate. You will never allow Christ to bring you to the end of yourself. You will never let, you are keeping yourself from going to the end of yourself. You're getting a diagnosis, but you don't want to go to the plan of treatment. You're not letting yourself. You're content with the diagnosis. You're content with him showing you the situation, but you don't want to go further than that. That is not the will of God in your life. He wants to bring you to the very end of yourself. And I cannot say to pastor, pastor, I have sinned against you, but it's totally legitimate because I have all these hurts and all these pains and all these angers and all these unresolved things. Therefore, I, I, I had to sin against you. Yeah, I recognize that a seed produces after its own kind, but we before Christ have to take total responsibility for our sins, total responsibility. I can't blame mom and dad anymore. I can't blame anyone. I can't blame sister. I can't blame society. I can't blame a boss that rejected me. I cannot do that anymore. I must take full responsibility for my sins. Why? Because if I separate my sin from myself and I say, my sins are over here because of my woundedness, Christ came to save who? Sinners. If you're not a sinner, then Christ is not for you. you got to own up. We have to own up. And so I wanna, I want to ask you, would you forgive me? For out of my sin, I have really sinned against you. Why? Because if I'm willing to do it to one person or two people or three people, then I'd be willing to do it to you, wouldn't I? If the situation was perfect. Isn't that true? Let's just be realistic here. If I'm willing to lie to one person, do you think I'm probably willing to lie to another? If I'm willing to backbite one person, do you think if the circumstances are right, I might backbite two or three? And so the bottom line is, Is that if I am guilty of it once, how many times does it take to lie to be called a liar? And I don't do it just to condemn myself, but I say that it has affected my ministry and my love towards you. It has affected the anointing of God in my life, which could benefit you. It's affected the love that can flow through me. Not eros love, not love that come come pat me on the back, I need you. But love that loves you for exactly who you are that will be affected. I can't do that. If, I am, if I'm in backbiting, sinning and woundedness, and pain, and everything else, I can't love you with the love of God. I can't love my wife as Christ loved the church if I myself in my woundedness and my pains am amplifying the sins of others in my mind or with my mouth. And I don't want to give you the excuse in thinking that, well, I haven't said anything. I, but if you feel it in your heart, it's just the same, isn't it? If you read this book that we're reading right now, it doesn't matter. You, the people that are the most angry people in the world are the people that have their biggest smiles in their faces. They're the ones that you say, "Oh, they're so pleasant and' so amenable and, and they're so they're usually the ones that are the most angry. And sometimes it's the worst thing when you internalize it and you bury it and you protect it and you put on this, the, whatever you need to, you put on that face, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That's that that face that that, that transitions from about 20 feet out in the car to the church service. Does anyone know that face? That transformation, amen? How quick we can transform. You know that? Masks, right? Where's that mask at, honey? Oh, there it is. Praise God. Hallelujah. God's going to do something great today. You know? can't look at your spouse, but God's great. I have sinned against you, every one of you as a pastor, as a shepherd, and I ask that you forgive me because it's affected you in negative ways. It's affected you, and I'm sorry. And I don't have any excuse for it. It's just my sin. And it's hurt you. It's hurt my wife. It's hurt my children. My only grievance is that we have too small of a crowd today, Pastor. Because I want every single person that's a regular tender here, I want them to know that I'm sorry for sinning against you, that I am grieved by it, and I ask that each of you forgive me. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how well you know me. It doesn't matter if you're in my life group or you're not in my life group. If I'm not flowing in agape love, then I'm flowing in something else. And my wounds and my pains that have caused me to sin have affected you. It's affected every relationship around me. It's affected my relationship with my children and my wife. I see that so clearly. And so I ask that you would forgive me, and, and Andy, if I'm going to give you a list of people that I need to get these tapes to. Maybe I'll have to just say it personally to them as well, but I want, them, I want every person to hear it in this church, that's a regular attender to this church. And so I'll make sure that we have the copies, because I want everyone to know it. And, uh, and I ask that you would forgive me. You know, the, the Lord brought me this week to Genesis chapter 9, it talks about the sons of Noah. It says in verse 18 of chapter 9, it says, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It says, Ham was the father of Canaan, who was born later. These are the three sons of Noah. And from them the whole earth was overspread and stocked with inhabitants. And Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk. And he was uncovered and lay naked in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, glanced at and saw the nakedness of his father, and he told his two brothers who were outside. So Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders of both of them, and they walked in backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine he knew the thing which his youngest son had done to him and the lord revealed this to me that this is where i have been guilty you see what happens with our carnality is is when our carnality and our hurts and our pains and our frustration and our anger and our rage and all those things within us that are apart from christ that have not yet been dealt with by the cross They will have a surveillance, like a a sonar. Beep, 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 beep. And it's just looking for something, some little imperfection. You know how Christ talked about in in the Sermon on the Mount, the speck in your brother's eye? This is what our flesh does. It goes around, and it's very good at doing it, and it's not conscious so much. And it goes around, and it just beep, 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 and it looks for a speck wherever it can find a speck. And you see what happened here is that Ham. It doesn't say it, but we can read right into it that Ham had some serious issues. Ham is the youngest son of Noah. There was something going on in his life. There was conflict, there was there was strife, there was anger, there was resentment, there were things going on in the in the heart of Ham. And he he tried to find anything he could. And for some reason, for whatever was going on, there was something going on in the relationship between Ham and Noah. Can you say that? I mean, come on. There was something wrong in the relationship. Something was amiss. There was some kind of discord and strife. There was a history that the Bible doesn't give us here. But we can read into it. There uh, There was something wrong in the relationship. And at this point, Ham looked for something, anything he could. And when he found something that he thought he could expose, what did he do? He turned around and told the closest people around him. We can use a lot of terminology for that. Gossip, slander, backbiting, factions, contentions. But that was the heart of Ham. See, his woundedness, his pain, his anger made it very easy for him to sin. And he sinned against his father. He sinned against Noah. And you know what? The legitimacy of whether that was a sin of Noah or what? That's not even the issue, is it? Because you know what? If I want to find sin in any one of you, I can find it. Right? And it's probably real sin. It's probably really shortcomings. It's probably really things that you're falling short of the glory of God. I can, if I know you, just for a few minutes, I can find something, some action, something going on in your life that has not yet come to the cross. That's not the question, is it? (laughs) It's not hard to find imperfections in each other. I don't have to look very hard. We all have imperfections. It's not a question of Noah's imperfection. It's not a question whether whether Noah willfully sinned, whether it was a mistake. It doesn't matter. It's the motivation of the heart of Ham out of wounds, pains, and anger that caused him to expose, that caused him to gossip and to murmur to whoever is around him, whoever would listen. That's the sin of Ham. That's the sin of Ty. I have done the same thing out of my pains and my woundedness. I have sinned against many. I have sinned against many. And the Lord is bringing that crisis to our life, and he's saying, I don't condemn you for the sin. You've asked for forgiveness. But now can we go on to the exchanged life? I can heal your wounds, your pain, your anger, those things that you needed as a child that you never got, and you developed anger and resentment. And whenever you showed it, uh, or even rightful anger as a child, Perhaps mom or dad, uh, in their woundedness, they would shut you up or discipline you from expressing your need. And all of a sudden you bottle it up and you've learned over time to bottle up anger, bottle up contentions, bottle them up inside you. The Lord's saying, I don't condemn you. I recognize you're sinning out of that. I'll forgive you, but can we go on now and go to your heart? Would you let me take the salve? Would you let me show the gold and show the white robe? Let me heal you. Let me set you free in your heart. That's the wonderful thing about Christ. He didn't just come to save you from your sins. He didn't just come to put the mallet on the table and say, innocent, what's next? He wants to perfect you. He wants to mold you and to heal you. He wants to do a work in your life. Why? Because he so much desires to know you, so much desires to have communion with you. You see, when you go into a a, a court case, You don't ever get to know the judge, do you? He finally comes to the verdict, hits the mallet, and you're out, and it's the next case. That's not how it is with Christ. He is your lawyer, and he is the judge. That's a pretty good defense, isn't it? But he doesn't just hit the mallet and say, now go on, do your merry thing. You've been cleansed. You've been set free. Hallelujah. He walks off that platform, and he comes up to you, and he says, you're innocent by my blood. Now can we start a relationship? He is not impersonal. He is very personal. He loves you and wants to know you. And he, know, he, he loves you so much and he knows that our, our anger and our things that are within our heart would keep us from intimacy with him. And so he has got the purpose of binding up the brokenhearted and setting free those who are in captivity because he so desires to be with you, to dance with you, to commune with you, to dine with you. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Paul says, verse 10, that love, that's agape love, does no wrong to one's neighbor. It never hurts anybody. Therefore, love meets all the requirements and is the fulfillment of the law. It says in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12, it says what? It's a scripture that we all know very well. It says that love covers a multitude of sins. And isn't that a perfect picture of the love of Shem and Japheth for their father? What a perfect picture of love covering a multitude of sins. Whether perceived or real, it doesn't matter. They didn't want to look at their father's nakedness. They weren't even interested in glancing at it to try to decide for themselves, is this real sin or is this not real sin? They didn't even care. They instantly just took the garment and walked in backwards and covered over their father. That's love, isn't it? Love never tries to hurt. Love never tries to destroy. Never, love never tries to inflate anything it can to protect itself. Love is never about self, not the agape love. It's about protecting. And it's really not about the legitimacy of the person. See, that is Eros love in itself. If you're only going to cover those who you esteem, that's not love. See, love, true love, would cover Apostle Hansen as much as it would someone that came into this church and who was a, a raper of children, but who wanted to start a life with Christ. The love doesn't matter. It doesn't depend on the recipient of it. It depends on the Spirit of God in you. That's the love. It's merited because Christ is in you giving it out. I don't analyze, does this person deserve this? Have this person done enough for me? How has this person treated me? Does he help me? Does he hurt me? Does he lift me up or push me down? See, it doesn't matter about the shape of Noah. It doesn't matter if Noah was righteous or wasn't righteous. Love covers Love doesn't glance. Love doesn't inflate. Love doesn't put the marker in assassinate character, whether it be in your heart or through your mouth. See, I'm convinced more than ever. Yeah, there's a lot of problems we have with gossip and talking and slander. That's a real problem. But you know what? I believe that the majority of our gossip and slander always stays in our heart. We gossip and slander and never say a word. It's the same thing, though, isn't it? I think it's better if you keep it in your heart than contaminate everyone else around you. Amen. If you got that little bit of cancer going on within you, don't share it with somebody else, okay? I'm all for that. But I want you to recognize also today that those things within you that are causing you to have a sin of ham, to expose and have contentions and strife and discord, they're in there if they never come out of your mouth, even. And don't anyway try to justify yourself. Well, I don't talk with anyone else. Most likely we all do at some time. But many times they're in our hearts and we're thinking about them all the time. And they cause. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You know that when you're in your mind and your heart you have this contention, this problem, this inflation and you're just critical and you know how it is. We all, we all go through it. But love covers over a multitude of sins. And it's interesting because it's the first part of the verse that we don't know. The first part of that verse talks about hatred and anger. It says that anger basically leads to contentions and strife and love covers over a multitude of sins. You see, your anger, your contentions, your rage, your hurts and your pains, they lead to contentions and strife and discord between you and your God and between one another. But the love of God coming and healing your heart covers over sins, covers over trespasses. Ephesians chapter four, verse two says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The amplified version says, living as become you with complete lowliness and mind, humility and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness with patience, bearing with one another and making allowances Because you love one another. Isn't that good? Are you willing to make an allowance for each other because of the love that you have for each other? Are we expecting perfection? Or are we looking for subtleties to inflate and to rise up? See, we can take something so small in a person, such anything that's such a speck, such a small thing, and our pride and our hurts and our pains can make that real molehill into a huge mountain. And what happens is you judge that person on this inflated mountain that you have created in your mind. And it's just a speck. And what that shows is that we have the beam in our eye, doesn't it? And I tell you what, when you have a beam sticking out of your forehead, it doesn't take much to turn around. And you are knock down everyone around you, don't you? When you have a speck in your eye, it might be a little bit of an irritation. People can see your eyes a little bit red and say, what's going on with your eyes? But when you have a beam coming out of your head, you're just turning around and people are falling all over the place. Isn't that true? Wife's falling down, husband's falling down, your children are falling down, your whole pastoral staff's falling down because you're turning around and you're just knocking people down. Jesus says, come on, take that, let me take that beam out of the eye. Let me take it. It's coming out of your forehead. It's a, it's a six by six, and it's coming out. It's about 10 feet long, and nobody can come anywhere close to you because you'll just knock, them, they'll knock your head right off. But you know what? You may never say a word. You may keep it right in your mind, and right in your heart, and you smile so big, and everyone will say you're so pleasant and so good, but inside you're full of strife and discord and discontent and hurts and pains and anger. Yeah. See, when I say the word anger, Everyone thinks of some man that's out of control and beating his children and everything else. But the book says that's only 10% of what real anger is. Most of anger is internalized. and The person's got a big smile on their face and they're pleasant and charming and everyone has good things to say about them. But inside, they're just full of anger. And they've been told, you should not gossip and you should not slander. So they okay, I'm a Christian, therefore I won't say anything to anyone, which is good. But inside, they're just decaying full of hurts and pains. And in their mind, they're just slaying people around them, smiling at the same time, just knocking people over. And Jesus says, can I bring a crisis to your life? Can I reveal your true character? Can I reveal your heart? Only for the purpose of exchanging it. That is his only purpose in it, is to exchange your life for his. The exchanged life. And so the Lord has shown me, and I think he's showing other people here, he's given a diagnosis. He's showing me that I, had, I have in my heart, there's a part of my heart that has the sin of ham. What? Not to cover in love, but to expose in hatred and anger and rage and woundedness and pain. And the Lord is saying to me, and I think he's going to say to a lot of us, he's going to say, can I exchange that? And you know What? That's awesome. That's wonderful and that's powerful that Christ wants to come and he wants to exchange his heart for my heart. And he wants to take it away and he wants to heal me. I want to be at the place where I don't have that sonar going so hard. Trying to keep people's sin elevated to keep myself feeling good. And so I want to again ask you to forgive me as a pastor. Because for me to be up here in any way encouraging these things yet in my own life not doing them, I'm a hypocrite. And there isn't the power and the love of God that can flow through me that can really help you. And it can't help my family and it can't help anyone else. But Pastor Hansen, myself, and the whole pastoral team, we want to be in a place where we do not resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. No way. It's not worth it. If I'm naked, poor, wretched, and exposed then you're going to see me for who I am. i do not want to protect my image from you. You can see it anyway, <laughs> right? You can see it. We can see each other's inadequacies. It's not secret. The fruit of our lives is the fruit of our lives. And in all of our lives, we have good fruit, and some we have bad fruit, and it's just usually a proportion of one or the other. But I don't care about that. One thing I do care about is all of us are willing to jump in the river of inner healing. Amen. Amen? If I'm in the river and I got half of you that are in the same river but you're, far, you're ahead of me, praise God. And there's a few people behind me, praise God. Amen? You just reach back and grab me and I'll reach back and I'll grab a few and we'll keep going down the river. That's the thing that's important here. Let's don't judge each other. Let's don't be each other's gods. Let's don't in ourselves commit the sin of Ham to each other. But let us understand that if we're just jumping in the river of God together, that we're going the same direction. That's to Christ to the cross. And it is horribly terrific. I tell you what. I never, I've lived as a Christian now for like nine years and I never understood that. Why? Because I had not given permission in a lot of areas of my life for Christ to expose me for his life. And so would you let the Lord create a crisis in your life for the sake of himself? Would you lay it down? Lay down your life. Allow him to diagnose You've got to have the diagnosis before you get to the plan. Before you get on the surgery table, it's good to have the diagnosis. Let him show yourself. Let him expose. Let him show so he can show who he is. Amen? God is doing something marvelous. And I want to encourage each of you. I think a lot of the people that are, that are here right now are enrolled in that class but i think this is going to be a great class and like pastor said there might be some some nights you might not be able to attend that's okay i think the material in the class is important it's it's important and just to have the material just to even listen to the book and then if it even takes a few weeks to get the class material the lectures and that's okay i think that the material that's going to be presented to you is going to be so beneficial it's going to be one of the tools that you will allow christ to use to show yourself to reveal yourself. It's one of the tools. And so if you're not in that class right now and after the exhortation you want to be, we have resources here. I think we have the books and syllabus here. Just talk to myself, talk to Pastor EJ, talk to Pastor Hanson. It's going to be a good class. It's going to be a class of revelation, of the character of God and the revelation of ourselves. And so 2006 is a point of transition. And it's a new life resolution. And I want for my personal life and for every one of you I want I want to start it out right with Christ. And I want to lay it down. And I start by what's probably the most important is asking you to forgive me and I give you permission. I empower you to be a reflection to me. I give you permission if you see something in my life I so much want you to show it to me. I do because I believe when we see something in our brother or sister's life, I'm not saying that we're supposed to ignore it. I'm not saying that what Shem and Japheth was doing is ignoring problems. When it says that love covers over a multitude of sin, it doesn't mean that we ignore sin, right? right. But it means that we approach sin with agape love, not with, I need to inflate your sin to make me feel good. And so if you see sin in my life, if you see things that are going on in my life, please don't ignore my sin. The body of Christ is established that so we can be reflections of Christ to each other. There are things that you're going to see in my life that I am not going to see about me. And there are things that I'll see in your life that you will not see about yourself. Now recognize that there are times when we go to a brother or sister and we think and we suspect that there's something amiss, but there might not be something amiss, right? Right? We ourselves could have a wrong analysis. That's okay. Amen? You know, in Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 20, it says if a, if a brother has sinned against you, what? Go. So you go to that person. See, it doesn't mean that in everything you're dogmatically 100%, you have sinned against me. But you feel that there's been a sin and been a grievance. And you're going to them, not only for yourself, but for them. To protect each other. Because the first thing you got to do is, is, is say, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm seeing. Let them give you some feedback. Maybe say, oh, wait a second here. There wasn't any sin there. I just misunderstood. And if you don't do that, you see the problem with that. Right. Then in your mind, you are a sinner, and you've sinned against me. And you never went to them. You never tried to reconcile. You never tried to get clarification. So in your heart, they've sinned, they're done, and you've done nothing to restore. I think there's so many times in each other's lives where we think someone sinned against us. Why? Because in our woundedness, we attract. Everything is is an offense sometimes, huh? Even though it wasn't no offense. But because we have this area in our life that's wounded, a person could could just not say hi to us in a a meeting and, and they've sinned against you, you know? It doesn't take much. And so what happens is, because we don't go to the brother, it commands you, it doesn't suggest, go to your brother if you think they sin sinned against you. Go to restore. Because if you don't, there's a separation that occurs whether you want it or not. If you think that I have sinned, you are commanded to come to me. Would you do it with love? Would you do it in the spirit of Shem and Japheth? Would you come Backwards. You know, when you're aggressive, you you run forward, don't you? But when you're walking backwards, you gotta, you gotta be careful, don't you? You gotta be careful when you're walking backwards. It doesn't take much to fall. And I think it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, I think it is. I can't remember which one offhand, but it says, if you go to a person, be careful. If you go to confront, be careful, it says, lest you yourself are tempted. Walk carefully backwards when you approach another brother. Don't be dogmatic. Don't be the absolute judge. Say this is what I see. This is what I perceive. I want it. I want clarification. And if we're all flowing in the same river of righteousness, if somebody comes and treats you that way and is walking backwards and trying to cover you and protect you and love you as a as a, you're gonna say, Hallelujah! Thank you, thank you for showing me. But if you come with the spirit of Ham and you start exposing and inflating everything else, that person's going to be like, I'm falling far from you. And what happens is, you might have had the correct diagnosis, but you couldn't deliver the agape. And so you didn't help them, and you didn't help yourself. You hurt yourself. And your sin was probably greater than the sin that you were going to confront in the first place. Isn't that true? I do that all the time. I am the chief of all this. Can we have the spirit of Shem and Japheth to cautiously approach each other in humility and meekness and gentleness and to cover first with love? If they don't feel the love, then you don't have the authority to speak into their life. If you don't come with that love, that agape, don't even come. You'll just make a muck out of it. But if you're willing to come and to cover with love, then you have authority by God Himself to speak in a positive way in somebody's life. Let us jump into that river together. Would you be? May I empower you to come to me. May I empower you and consider to come to one another in a spirit of gentleness, meekness, and love. I know Pastor Hanson has the exact same thing. If you see something in him, please don't come to me. Please don't come to his wife. Please don't come to Andy. Please don't come to Terry. Come to him. If you see someone in my life, don't go to my wife. Amen? Yeah, she already has the diagnosis, probably. (laughs) But come to me. Why? Because I'm in the same river. We're in the same river. Hallelujah. We're not on different rivers. We're not going different directions. We're going towards Christ, the perfection of Christ. I want to, and I know everyone in this room right here, wants to be more like Christ. And if you can do something to help me to do that, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think that is the epitome of being our brother's keeper. Presenting the truth in love. Meekly and gently in the spirit of Shem and Japheth. I have failed to do that very well and I ask that you forgive me. And I make a commitment to the Lord. I won't do it perfectly in 2006. But I do commit to you that the Lord has brought a crisis into my life and I'm choosing the exchange life. I don't want to be a whitewashed sepulcher. I want to be healed and transformed in the inside. And that's my point of transformation. That's the point, my new life resolution. And I pray that it's yours as well. Can I just encourage you? I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you. I know that I, I know some of your lives and some of the circumstances that are going, and I know that God is doing a wonderful and a marvelous work, and he's using different circumstances to bring to that crisis situation. But would you just, in your life and for 2006, Say, yes, Lord. I am not going to kick against the goads any longer. I am not going to resist any longer. But I am going to say, Lord, I want the exchange life for 2006. I want exchange life. I don't want to adapt or conform my life. My life is supposed to be dead, amen? I don't want my life and in my own strength and my own task and my own talents somehow trying to, to model or represent Jesus Christ. That is a muck. The only life that we need to see in the world needs to see like we sang about today is we need to see the life of Christ coming out of us. And that will not and cannot happen until you say to the Lord, yes, I will allow you to crucify me. Let the crisis come. Don't run away from that bar. Approach that bar even though it looks scary, and recognize that the hand of Christ will be right there to pull you across into the safe waters. Let us stand together. We're going to open up the altars, allow you to have a moment with Christ, a moment of... It can be simple. If you don't know what to say, here's what you say. You come and you say, Lord, everything that was said, everything that was said today Amen. How about that? You don't have to get fancy in your words. You don't have to be eloquent in speech. You don't have to try to reason with God in some debate. All you have to do is say, "Amen." What's that mean? Let it be in my life. Amen. So when you hear the words of the doxology, that is your invitation to come. That is your invitation to stay for twenty seconds or thirty minutes. It doesn't matter. However, the Lord wants you to work. How? whatever it takes, but let's make that new life resolution today.
0: Now, here is my friend, Scott Farah, and he's going to help you with your business. Scott,
1: Jesus teaches us that we should never do anything without making a plan first. Most small business owners fail to follow this biblical principle and do not have a written plan for where they want to be in one year, three years, five years, Yet every large business has a written plan. Many who wish to start their own businesses do not develop a plan first. This is one of the major reasons that 80% of all small businesses fail within the first five years. God worked through me to develop a unique educational program for business people. Quite frankly, this program has changed people's lives. If you currently own a business or if you're thinking about going into business for yourself, you need the independence program. Visit our website, independenceprogram.training, and if you choose to purchase this unique educational program, make sure that you use promo code WMI. It will give you a 5% discount.
3: So if what you have just heard resonates with you, and if you care and you want to be an unsung hero, I implore you, please take a few seconds to call us today and leave a message with a short prayer for us because we need to know that you are with us and care enough to be part of the spark with us so that together we can move God to send a great awakening that can reverse the inevitability of God's coming judgment according to what God spoke in Jeremiah 18, 7, and 8. We believe that if you joined hands with us, Together, we can save America from certain catastrophic judgment. So call now, okay? Dial 360-629-5248. And say a short prayer for us in your message. And leave your phone number too, okay? So one more time, 360-629-5248. Thank you and God bless.